Amen. Good morning. What a privilege we have to worship our God. Isn't that a privilege? Amen. And so I just truly appreciate our choir leading us this morning as we continue to, to worship our God, as we look at his word, as we continue this series from First Peter, Excellence, and Exile. So last week, Pastor Joe uh, started chapter three for us, verses one through seven, as he spoke on marriage and exile. And that was indeed a powerful message that truly highlights the immense challenges that we, the people of God, must face as we deal in situations and issues of life, but yet we're always left with the challenge to bring glory and to bring honor to our God. After all, each of our pastors have stressed as we've gone through this series that this world is not our home. And as we struggle to, to live up to, their cha to that challenge, the enemies of our faith would try to seduce us into living as pseudo-exiles. Pseudo-exiles. In other words, exiles in name only. But we could do better than that. And as we look at the passages that we're going to just take a quick look at this morning, again from chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. So if you would turn in your Bibles to that. For, for those of you that are using the Bibles provided into the, in the pews this morning, turn to page 1015. 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading at verse 8 and read down to verse 12. It reads as follows. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless is for to this you have been called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his, eye, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. This is the word of God. And let me just take a quick moment to just remind each of you of how sacred this word is. We have for us words that Peter removed by the Holy Spirit to pen for our text. These words are not just anything to be taken lightly. These are words that are directly from the mind of God. Peter would later go on in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 to say, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These are sacred words. These are God's words, and his people should pay heed to understand what God is saying to us. You know, the Bible is not just simply a recording of God's word. The Bible is the exact living word of God. It is a precious gift, one that the church should hold dear. 
should treasure with great regard. Again, you know, we live here in Knoxville, Tennessee, but this world is not our home. And so as we look at this passage from this morning, what I'd like to highlight briefly is what I call the exile's determination. The exile's determination. As a little boy growing up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I worshiped at a little family church on the banks of the False River in Point Capi Parish. Now, keep in mind, in Louisiana, we call things parishes instead of counties. But it's the same thing. And the practice of our church was that when a person professed faith in Christ and desired to be baptized, the church initiated a process that would evaluate the genuineness of that person's faith. And part of that process was there was a special service that was held, and each candidate would have to come before the church and tell their determination, and tell their determination. So I remember when I was a little boy and it was my time to come and I professed faith in Christ and desired to be baptized, I had to go and stand before the church and I was terrified. You know, basically what my determination was, was to give evidence that indeed I understood what it was to become a Christian. And so I kind of mumbled through it and I really don't recall to this day what I said. But I do know this, that after I was through, everyone present gave a hearty round of amens. And oh, how I appreciate that. In fact, this morning, I've always learned, come to the love of amens. And if anyone in the audience wants to say a hearty amen to me, just feel free to do so. Okay, amen. There you go. (laughs) So there's no doubt as we journey through life as exiles, we must likewise show a strong sense of determination. You know, there's an old favorite hymn of the church that said, I have decided to make Jesus my choice. No turning back, no turning back. And it's that kind of determination that marks the essence of being on our mission for Christ. And you know, Peter, leading up to our verses for this morning, has already given us examples of why that determination is so important. In chapter 1, verse 6, he says, to rejoice. And we are to rejoice in spite of the various trials that we face in life. Peter says to be holy, for God is holy. He said in chapter 2, verse 12, to keep our conduct honorable among the Gentiles. He goes on in chapter, the end of chapter 2 and in verse 3, chapter 3 to say, be subject to human authorities, to be subject servants to masters, to be subject wives to husbands. And as I've seen Peter unfold that, those characteristics, what I've seen him do is move from a broad perspective of speaking to all of the exiles and then he drops down, he starts to talk about one-on-one relationships. But as we start to look at uh, chapter 3, verse 8, Peter starts to talk to us as individuals. He moves down to the individual levels. And I think the reason for that, part of the reason for that, is because accountability 
responsibility always exists at the individual level. The buck stops here. Individually, we will stand before our God and give an account of the life that we live. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Jared Ravey really highlighted this for us when he took a look at Peter chapter 2, and in particular verse 21. Let me just read that powerful passage of Scripture. He says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Jesus is the supreme example of what each of us must stand for as determined exiles for our God. And just as Jesus was determined to carry out God's will for his life, what we can see in the passages this morning are really examples that will help us to live determined lives for Christ as well. And first of all, what I want to look at for exiles that have a no turning back determination, we must possess certain attributes. What are the exiles' attributes? Let's take a look at verses 8 and 9 again. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Verse 9, do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you have been called that you may obtain a blessing. For each and every exile that makes up the church of Christ, Peter is saying that we need to possess these attributes. And what are they? Unity of mind. Sympathy. Brotherly love a tender heart, and a humble mind. If we are in possession of these attributes, then as in verse 9, we're able to go on and do no evil. We're able to go on and be a blessing if we have these attributes. And these attributes are essential to the exile's determination. Without these attributes, just think about it. It, it, How are you going to rejoice in spite of the various challenges that we face in life unless you understand what it means to have unity of mind with Christ, who even though he was abused, raised not his hand in ungodly anger? How are you to keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles unless you possess brotherly love as a commitment to your care for one another. You know, Jesus said that you shall know them by their fruit. And the attributes that we're seeing here in 1 Peter 3 are characteristics of the fruit that we are commanded to exhibit. The Apostle Paul reiterated this fruit in Galatians 5, 22, 23, verses that I'm sure you're familiar with. And what are, what's the fruit of the Spirit? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Exiles who are determined to live life in a manner that pleases God must exhibit these attributes. 
Now, each of these attributes that we've just read, each one is striking in and of itself. But this morning, I, I really don't have the time to go into each one. But there is one that kind of popped out to me this week that I just want to talk about for a little while. And, and that's the attribute of sympathy. Sympathy. The basic meaning contained within the Greek this morning means that we are to suffer or have deep feelings towards someone else, to identify with a person at the gut level. You know, quite frankly, at times, I think our culture struggles with the concept of sympathy, especially when it comes to dealing with others who we differ with, who we differ with, are sometimes someone who's struggling in life for whatever reason. We have a hard time with sympathy. But in being sympathetic towards others, now Peter is not advocating ignoring poor behavior or attitudes. That's not the case at all. But what he is calling for is that exiles determined to please their God will foster an attitude of understanding, of understanding what others think or feel at the moment. You know, and that, and that speaks loudly to us today. And you might want to ask, well, why, what's the big deal with that? Well, here, here's what the big deal is. Again, we don't strive to walk in another's shoes so that they may feel comfortable in their sin and remain there. No, no, we don't do that. But rather we understand where they are coming from in order to help lead them to where they need to go. And where is it that they need to go? Our prime objective is to lead people to Jesus Christ. And in order to understand where people are, that's an essential part of helping to lead them to where they need to become. We have to become all things to all people. And that sounds familiar. In fact, that comes directly from the words of the Apostle Paul. Let me read that passage of Scripture for us this morning. It's Romans chapter 9. And I'm going to start at verse 19. Let me read this. Powerful words from the mind of God for the people of God. Here's what Paul says. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I may win more of them. To the Jews, I've become as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become as one under the law, though myself am not under the law, that I may win those who are under the law. For those who are outside of the law, I become as one outside of the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I may win those outside the law. Verse 22, I love this verse. To the weak, I've become weak. Have you ever been weak at times? I don't know about you guys, but sometimes life gets you in a position where you just feel weak. But Paul says, to the weak I've become weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. There's that objective, the prime objective to save some. 
in verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. You know, Jesus had that kind of attitude. Setting up in glory, Jesus looked down on what had become of his creation. And Hebrews 2.17 tells us this is what he did. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. The Lord of Lord, the King of Kings, thought enough of you that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for us. No sympathy, no savior. And again, to deal with sympathy is not to turn a blind eye towards bad behavior, but it, again, it's rather to understand what is standing between a person and their relationship in Christ. Now, we live in a world that just seems to be obsessed with rights. As exiles, the right to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost sinner is truly a right worth fighting for. Now, Jesus exercised his right to come to the earth and to save the lost. As determined exiles, are you willing to meet people where they are so they may, that you may be part of getting them to where they need to be. If you are, then you must cultivate the attitude of sympathy. Again, Peter says, exiles have to possess this attribute, these attributes, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now, not only does Peter talk about the exiles' attributes, he also goes on to highlight the exile's adversary. The exile's adversary. Let's look back at our text again, verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Evil is the adversary that Peter directs our attention to in this passage. Well, what is evil? Evil is anything that stands contrary to the holy nature of God. Evil works its way into our path to induce us to sin and to dishonor God. It's a devastating, corrupting influence that we must be on constant guard to resist. And Peter wants to grab our attention with these verses about evil. And it's interesting, the verses that Peter has captured from us are taken directly from Psalm 34, a psalm that you may be familiar with. Now, why did Peter choose this psalm? Well, you know, it's interesting. Many of the scholars who have looked at this passage really believe that David wrote this psalm later in his life as he reflected back on the time when he was on the run from King Saul. Isn't that interesting? In essence, David wrote this psalm 
when he himself was in exile. No wonder Peter would take a look at that particular passage. And on the run from King David, from King Saul, David was often tempted to fall to evil thoughts. You know, over time, David was tempted with many opportunities to take measures into his own hands and to eliminate the evil thought or the evil forces that were threatening to destroy him. But he didn't do it. You know, that's so unlike us. You hit me, I'll hit you back. You threaten my family, and I'll, take, I'll make you regret for it. For some reason, an eye for an eye and a tooth for the tooth attitude just seems to resonate with us. And let me state this up front. David was by no means a wimp. <laughs> he was the greatest warrior king the nation of Israel has ever had. When the time for battle was called for, David was there. And so should we be there to protect and defend our family and our country. But David presents for us a great model of how to deal with our evil adversary in a God-honoring manner. David recognized that when it comes to dealing with evil, we must look to God for our instructions. And the first thing we need to look for is to understand the nature of our enemy. And God says you cannot defeat evil with evil. Again, the Apostle Paul clearly defines for us what the battle is really all about. Ephesians 6, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers that are over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. I just could imagine that Peter had memorized this psalm as a youngster, so it was natural for him to reflect back upon it at this time in the life of the church. And, and in doing so, this psalm gives us just some great practical advice on how to deal with this battle. He begins with our speech. We don't talk like the adversary. We are to keep our tongues from deceit, from speaking evil. Now, what is deceit? Deceit uses decoys to deceive people. Deceit involves the use of treachery to exploit the naive or undiscerning. Deceit baits them by using their own greed. Can you see yourself using any of these tactics in dealing with evil? Exiles are warned to be on guard against the, the adversary's scheme to entrap you into evil speech that reveals either a lack of discernment or greedy intent. Peter commands us to bless others. Our speech should be full of grace and mercy and praise. Now, Peter didn't include some of the earlier verses of Psalm 34, but in those earlier verses, I think, again, David gives us a great model of what our speech should look like. 
What did he say beginning in verse one of Psalm 34? Listen at these words. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble be glad and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Now that's a call to worship. David is exhorting the people of God to join in with him, to praise our God, who's the protector of our people. You know, there should never be a more worshiping people than, the, than those that are in the church who have been bought and paid for by the blood of the Lamb. We ought to set this standard for passionate, heartfelt worship. And we are to worship in spirit and in truth. And how do you do that? Well, we should continually have the praises of our God on our lips. I will praise the Lord at all times. Our praise should flow out of a humble heart that seeks only to exalt the name of God, my soul blessed and boast in the Lord. Our praise should shake the pillars of the earth it should resonate with enthusiasm and with power like we did this morning. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You know, I think West Park is a, a worshiping church and praise God for that. I'm, I'm so thrilled that when the, the choir's up here, our worship team's up here and, and you guys are united together just singing the songs of, of Zion and, and every now and then Pastor Doug pauses and says, let's give the Lord a clap offering because he's worthy of our praise. You know, I can only imagine that when God truly hears genuine praise from the heart lips of his people, that it just does his heart good. We are, we are to be humble people who are quick to praise God, for indeed he's, he alone is worthy. So again, as we look at what's going on in these passages of, of, uh, of Scripture, we know that we ought to praise him because he saved our wretched soul from an eternity of damnation and separation from us, from him. He has saved our soul. Now, there's another way that Peter presents for the exiles to deal with the adversary. Look again at verse 11. He says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Now, that truly is a lifestyle imperative. We are to turn away from evil and to do good. That's 180 degrees from how so many people actually believe, behave. Again, you hit me, I'll hit you back. But we need to constantly ask the question, what will I do in all of my actions that will result in glory for God and good for the individual? Now, if you're not able to answer that question with a resounding yes, that the tactics I'm getting ready to take will result in the other person's good, then maybe you should consider if your motivation is more about self-gratification than God-glorification. Self-gratification versus God-glorification. Exiles are determined to bring glory to God. 
turn from evil, do good. Peter says, let him seek peace and pursue it. That mandate can't be more clear. Seek peace and pursue it. Exiles are not only to love peace, but to actively pursue it. If your first impulse is to always go to war, maybe you need to step back and take a closer look at this passage of Scripture. Now, keep in mind, Peter was writing to a group of exiles who were living in an empire that was built on conflict and war. The Roman military machine was constantly present and active in almost every aspect of their lives. But yet, in the midst of this aggressive mindset, Peter instructed the exiles to be more resolved about seeking peace than war. Peter seemed to reflect back on the words of Jesus, recorded for us in Matthew 5, 9. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The sons of God. That's just another name for exiles. You know, Peter was writing his epistle at the beginning of an era that would last for about 300 years. The Christian church would be severely persecuted during that time. Hundreds of thousands of believers would give up their lives for the faith. And these were exiles who would give their lives up under the heavy hand of a government whose aim was to wipe out the faith. Yet Peter's command to seek peace was based on trusting God and not taking matters into their own hands. And so that brings me to the final reflection that I want to give you this morning. It's in verse 12. And verse 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Do you want your prayer line shut down to God? Last Sunday, Pastor Joe just preached a powerful message to husbands concerning the consequences of not living with your wives in an understanding manner. He said that if you do so, your prayers will not be heard in heaven. Now, Peter expands that warning to all believers. If you persist in doing evil, the Lord will turn his face from you. You know, sometimes I I lament the fact that sadly, the church in America today just not seem to take seriously the discipline of prayer. Everything we should do should first be bathed in prayer. You ought not start your day without first praying. But you know, there's something after reading these passages that gives me even greater concern, greater concern than the lack of faithfulness to prayer in the lives of believers. And that's because there may be those among us who are practicing evil in their lives. Peter says, if you're practicing evil, God will turn his face from you. That's a hard and dark reality. But you know something? Even then, even if that is the case, there still is great hope. Because, see, there's a prayer that God will always hear. 
And that prayer is a prayer of sincere repentance and begging for forgiveness. God will always hear that prayer. If you find yourself in a dark place this morning, if you know of someone who's in a dark place this morning, pray for forgiveness and repentance that that person would turn from their, their adversary evil ways and return unto God. God will always hear that prayer. So as I bring this message to a close, let me just remind you that as exiles, we ought to be determined people. We ought to ex uh, demonstrate the, the attributes of unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. As exiles, we are determined to understand our adversary seeks to have us choose evil over good. But we are determined to keep our speech clear of evil and deceit. We are determined to turn from evil and to do good. We are determined to seek peace and pursue it. And as we do so, as we flee from evil, God will not turn his face from us. And we're determined to follow the path laid out by Peter and that path only. Our country today seems to be caught up in turmoil all over the place. On many different fronts, the enemy seems to be waging battle against us. And you know, there's, there's never been a better time for believers, for exiles, to stand up and to be the salt and light to a world that is desperately looking for solutions. We ought to live, breathe, pray, and proclaim the name of Jesus as the only solution that will truly change lives. We talk about protecting our rights as citizens of the U.S. all the time. But what we really need to do is to stand up for the right that truly makes a difference. And that right is to proclaim the name of Christ. So will you join in with me? Join in with my determination. Join in with the determination of your church, West Park, to live up to the creed that this world is not our own. To live up and shout clearly from the rooftops that our God saves, that there is a solution. There is an alternative to the darkness that seems to be out there on all these fronts. We have the answer. Let us go forth and boldly proclaim with a determined voice that we shall overcome. Will you join me with that? If you will, let's pray. So Father, we just thank you so much for this morning. We thank you, Lord, that as exiles in a world that's not our own, that's not because we see just an end without hope, because you are our great hope, Lord. Continue to lift us up, to guide us and direct us in the path that you would have us to go. Mm. For it's in Christ's name we pray.